Glad to be with you here on WPSL. Thanks for tuning into the show today. We'll be on the air for the next hour here at We Are Just Christians. We'll be glad to take your calls and comments here. I'm going to give you the information how to reach us in just a moment. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show, and we really like and appreciate you contacting us, calling in especially. Adds a lot to the show. This show is about being just a Christian in the 21st century. Uh, and by going by the New Testament written in the first century. We believe it's applicable, and God intended us to do that very thing, to look back to his word as a guide both to our, as guide to our life, both as, as individuals and the church. And so we practice here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, New Testament Christianity as best we can. And uh, we urge you to take a look at that and be just a Christian, not part of some human denomination. So we're glad to be with you. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders of the church, as usual. My partner, Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm here doing good. Good. We're we're glad we can be with you. We've got two or three things to talk about today. But most importantly, if you'd like to call in, we'd like to hear what you have to say. Let me give you the numbers. The the best way to, to reach us here on the show live is to call in the regular WPSL call in number, which is 772. 340-1590, 772-340-1590. 340-1590, is the number, and you'll be patched right here to us. We're at our building right now, but Ray at the station will take your call and patch it through to us, and we'll be able to have a conversation. And here, the general rules of calling us are this. We're not going to argue with you, or our, our comments are not intended to just get people to call in and be outrageous or something. The idea is to have a conversation or for you to ask a question or make a comment. You can make a negative comment. You don't have to even be a believer or go to church anywhere to call the show. We would love for you to call in that event because it makes the show interesting. So we're going to give you the last word on any kind of any call you make, and hopefully we can treat each other with respect. Um, 772-340-1590. You can also reach us during the show by text message. You can call me, Mike, at 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120, and you can call Gary Jones or text Gary, 772-260-6220. We'll, we'll do our best to t- uh, text you or to acknowledge your text on the show if we can. Uh, there, it may not be possible every time. You can also contact us through those same numbers anytime during the week. Or you can email us, simple email address, justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put off some of the other information I got how to get a hold of the show and stuff, Gary, a little bit later. Okay. But you got to remind, because I want to get into the show today, um, I, So, but but you got to remind me, if I don't do it, to get into how the, else they can hear us, how they can tell their friends about the show and about our live stream and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to lay this right here. I got a piece of paper with that written right. on it, so I'll and remember it. And invite you to send a, an invitation to the show to all your friends too. Yes, and that's what that's what we're going to talk about. So, um, but let's let's just dive into something this morning. If you want to call in and change the subject, you're perfectly welcome to do that. It happens all the time, and we're glad about that. But we're going to we're going to begin a topic. If you want to talk, call about that, that's fine. If not, call about something else. But Gary, you said you had something you've been well, thinking I'm, about. And I'm going to, Turn it over to you right now. I have something that uh, is not really a basic lesson in in the sense that uh, if you don't believe in the Bible or you haven't had any contact with the Bible, this is going to lead you through it and bring bring you to a point that you understand and believe what God said. This is more of a question. People finally come to a point where uh, they understand that they need God and that there is going to be a judgment. There's a question that gets to be asked, Mike, and that's and it's asked several times in the, in the examples in the New Testament of people who were converted to Christ uh, from Judaism or from nothing at all, in a sense. And that question is, what must I do to be saved? Right. That that that's what must I do to be saved. That that's a question that 
everybody out there should have in their mind some idea of what it is. And I'm, I'm thinking of what are the first things first? Uh, I've talked to people that say, well, say the sinner's prayer. Well, well, well wait, wait a minute. Is there something that comes before that? Uh, and we'll talk about that too, which is not really something we find in the scripture. So that's, that's what right. I'm, I'm The problem is finding something like a sinner's prayer in the New Testament. Right. And, and I guess a lot of people aren't troubled by that. But you and I are troubled by I'm that. I'm troubled by that. Because we, we're going to come to the New Testament to find the answer to these questions. And if you can't find something about it in the New Testament at all, it makes me suspicious of the concept. Right. But go ahead. Well, the reason is, it goes back to John twelve forty eight, Mike, which, which I've quoted a lot of times. And Jesus says... He who rejects me and does not receive my words is that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So if I can't find it in his word, you know, I, I, we're missing something. Yes, we definitely are. Uh, basically, Jesus said, in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the precepts of men. Uh, so if if it's a precept of man, uh, it's vain worship and exactly. doesn't answer the question, what must I do to be saved? We have to go to Scripture to see that. We have to understand what Jesus said about that. And so what is the what is the first thing? What comes first? Uh, and and it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, one of the passages that, that are not, that's not very often quoted is Hebrews 11, 6. That's exactly what I was thinking. Which yeah, is exactly yeah. what you were thinking. Right. But I don't think a lot of other people think that. Hebrews eleven six he says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And and you and I have talked about, well, what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to believe? And basically they're the same word in Greek. Well, oh, they are. They are the same word. You're, you're going to have word. different endings based on the grammatical place. You know, believe, belief, and belief. One's a noun, and one's you know a, one's a, verb. a verb. So you have different endings, but it's the same word. And faith and believe are the same thing. Having faith and having belief are exactly the same thing in Greek. Maybe sound like they're different in English because you look up one under the F's and one under the B's in the dictionary. But in Greek, it's exactly the same word. So I, just want, I wanted to mention, the, what do we need to believe? That, that, that Hebrews 11, 6 passage says, uh, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those. That's some of the things that we need to believe. Mm-hmm. But what else do we need to believe? Are there other things that we need to believe? Uh Jesus basically says in John three eighteen, he says, "He who believes in him, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is, is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God." So, one of the things that we need to believe is Jesus is the Son of God, and there, there are a couple of passages that are even a little bit more clear about that. Uh, one of the examples of conversion in Acts. 8 and verse 34, the, the Philippian eunuch uh, asked the question of Philip. He says, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's the confession. Right. There's a good confession. So, But it also is what he believes. It's one of the things that we need to be. I am the way, the truth. This is John 14, 6. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's another aspect of what Jesus is that we need to believe. Uh, Simon, basically in Matthew 16, Jesus asked Simon Peter, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so we, we, we see aspects of what we need to believe. I think this is, this is not just one aspect of it. Uh, even, even when, uh, even when we're told to confess, uh, basically, in uh, one of the letters that Paul says, he says, what? You believe that God raised him from the dead. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? Okay. And so there are aspects of Jesus' life that we need to believe. Uh, 
that confession is a good one, but sometimes, Mike, I, I'm afraid that we don't teach very well all the aspects of what we need to believe and understand. Well, we, and go, we go through a lot of things in any kind of situation of learning or teaching others or just things that we do. Uh, uh, families have inside jokes, as it were. Yeah. And families know the context of another person's actions and thoughts and words more so than a stranger. And so they talk in almost their own language sometimes. And that's true in churches or in schools or in businesses. Right. Uh, you, use, you would use jargon at your engineering job and then, you know, acronyms and jargon that an outsider wouldn't understand. And you even use some ordinary words in an engineering sense that, uh, that need to be like defined. wouldn't understand it unless you defined it for them. And need to be defined. And, and this is true of the Bible and it's true of churches. And I think that happens as far as, you know, what is even salvation? What's it mean to be saved or to save a soul? You know, those are concepts that need to be explored, a lot of misunderstanding about it. And salvation and faith is another one of those things. Faith and belief are, the, are those things that, that come together. Well, you know how big I am on definitions, but I think that's really a, a where a lot of a, a Protestant evangelicals and others have changed the definitions of words and the way that they use them. They're using Bible words, but the definitions they're giving them are not Bible concepts necessarily. And that's where we, what's what we do a lot of the time, and it may seem boring to other people, exploring how the Bible uses various freight concepts and words to get the understanding of how it uses a word and why it can use a word like faith sometimes to include action. Faith includes the action because if you don't do the action that goes with it, then there's no faith to be shown there. And the Bible uses the word that way sometimes. It's, it's interesting to me that you, you pointed out, well, what does it mean to be saved? That's something I hadn't really put a lot of... can't be lost, can't be saved until you're lost. lost. What does it well, mean to be lost? What does it mean to be lost? He says, well, the passage I, I quoted in John 3 and verse 18, he says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. What does it mean to be not condemned and condemned? Okay, and basically what we're saying is you're condemned to what? You're condemned to the wrath of God and the judgment is what it is. If you want to be saved, you avoid the wrath of God when judgment day comes around. So when we say these things and we define these things, we're, we're thinking about what it means to believe in Jesus, believe that he is the son of God, believe that he was raised from the dead, believe basically that God sent him into the world to save the world through his word. And his word will be the standard by which we will be judged. These are all things and aspects of Jesus' life to me that we need to understand. And and what he's saying is uh, basically no one comes to the Father but through me. Now that's, that's in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How does Jesus want us to come through him? In, in in Hebrews, basically, he says uh, he became the author of salvation to all who obey him. Right. There's another aspect of that faith. Now, I, I'm I'm going to quote Ephesians two for, because I think a lot of people have have missed that. But in P Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse about eight, Paul says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith." And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is the real relationship between faith and works? Right. Gary, we had, a, we had a text. It's a little okay. bit behind, or a little bit behind where you are there. Okay. Uh, and John says the te question is saved from what? Jesus and John the Baptist were warning people to repent from their the soon-to-come destruction, that they could be saved from that destruction. Well, well, that's that's true in a limited sense. There was an element that God was going to destroy the Jewish nation, and we know that historically that's what happened. It happened 70 A.D. that God finally brought the Romans on on the Jewish nation and destroyed Jerusalem. And the people that listened to Jesus' prophecies in Matthew 24, for example, and Luke 21, were spared from that destruction because they fled the city when the Romans 
came and other came about and others did not. But John was saying, I mean, in first Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist comes and he says, repent or turn around for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that that could refer in some oblique sense to the Romans coming to destroy Jerusalem or a coming of Christ's kingdom. But he says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And he goes on to say he went around Judea and all the region around the Jordan. People went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when the Pharisees and scribes came out, the Pharisees and Sadducees, Hang on, I have no idea what's going on here. Okay, we're we're we've had we're having temporary technical difficulties, folks. I think one of our external microphones is uh, one of our external microphones. No, is it's, on? hang on, I can't even figure out how to turn this thing off. Okay. Well, what it is, Gary, we have a system here for for people who are who are hearing impaired. Oh, okay. It's a radio system, and apparently it was picking up some kind of interference and transmitting it in the room here. Anyway, but sorry I, for interruption. I'd like to go back to that idea of of, of saved from what or condemned to what. Well, he what. tells them here that they need to repent of their sins, and and to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. I'm not sure how how that per se is going to save them just from the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, I, That's I, a spiritual salvation. Right. I, I, think, I think the destruction here or the condemnation he's talking about is more like that uh, reflected in Matthew 25 from a final judgment in which God is going to basically yeah. condemn those who are sinners or who did not obey him or did not obey the word that we see here. It's like what he says in Mark, is Mark 1 14 and 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is something that God expected us to obey. So we we see that in in scripture. And it it was producing moral change through repentance and changing your behavior and thought process. That's what Jesus began his ministry, even though he was preaching the coming of the kingdom, by telling them, blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit and so forth, because it's a culture... Now, we've got a caller on the line, Gary. Okay. Uh, Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, um, uh, Gary. How are you, Jerry? I don't want to sound naive, but when they say the uh, the Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, exactly what are they? Are they talking about arms of the Catholic Church, or uh, exactly? I know there's a Greek Orthodox Church in Port St. Lucie. But I was wondering about the Russian Orthodox and. How did they survive the, you know, when there was the Iron Curtain and all that? And uh, so that's my question, Mike. I'd like to listen off air. That'd be okay? Okay, that'd be fine. Well, uh, there was a split in about 660 or so. 660 A.D. Yes, and also in 10, around 1054, there was another big split. That that was the big split between the... uh, Russian, the uh, Eastern Church and the Western Church, so-called, away from the Roman Catholic, Catholic Church. Church we, were, yeah. we in America call it the Catholic Church. The word Catholic just means universal, and uh, which I don't believe that the Catholic Church is actually Catholic, but that's the name that they have, and so it's called the Roman Catholic Church because, well, a- after. After New, in, in late New Testament times, I'll say that. In, in later uh, New Testament times, I'm saying in the 100s on bat past, there were like five great churches that were uh, the main churches. There was Jerusalem, Antioch, Constantinople. Um, help me. I'm not uh, familiar with them. Rome, Rome and another one, and I, uh, I want to say Alexandria. Uh, I'm, there's, there were five. Now, over time, the Roman and Rome and Constantinople became, because of political forces, became the two great powerful churches. By then, though, the church had already fallen away from the New Testament pattern of right. simplicity and government and it established all these universal bishops and cardinals, other structures that they had put in place. And the power of these men was based upon the political importance of of the city in which they were, and they were, they after Constantine, these religious officials became political officials, 
And so you had these two churches develop and vie for power, one in Rome, one in Constantinople. And eventually they couldn't get along and they split. And you have the, the Greek Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church were almost essentially very similar churches. The Greek Orthodox Church doesn't use instrumental music as far as I know and a few other things like that. But essentially they have the same kind of structure with a, a central figure like a pope. I, I forgot what he's called in the Greek Orthodox Church, something like a, a father or something like that. <clears throat> uh, uh, can't remember off the top of my head. Now the Russian Orthodox Church is just, and so, and the Anglican Church are kind of similar to this in that they were uh, people that rebelled against the authority of the Pope. Henry VIII rebelled against the authority of the Pope in England because he wanted to marry somebody that he didn't have a right to according to the Pope. And so he just said, well, no, I'm the head of the Church in England now. We're going to call it the Church of England. They retained very, very similar practices to the Catholic Church. They became, though, the Church of England or the Anglican Church. The Roman Orthodox Church had a very similar uh, history. So they're very similar to each other. They're, they're, they're not considered specifically Protestant churches as such. Now, the word orthodox is, the word ortho in Greek is correct or straight. So you go to an orthodontist who straightens out your, your teeth, teeth or orthopedic surgeon. The pedic part is the feet. So you go to a person with straight te- for straight feet. So orthodox, dox is teaching, doctrine type wor- a word. And so you have orthodox is that which is correct teaching. So that's what they're saying. We're the correct church. The Roman Catholic Church is not the correct church and so forth. And so you had this, these churches begin to develop. Now, it wasn't until 1500 or so that Martin Luther came along and said, uh, we need to reform the Roman Catholic Church. His reforms didn't really, weren't really aimed at the Greek Orthodox Church, but maybe they should have been. He was just concerned. He was a Roman Catholic priest, so he uh, tried to straighten out the Roman Catholic Church or the Catholic Church. They've always considered themselves to be the mother church and the only true church and so forth. And so... Uh, Luther came along and tried to straighten out that, and, and then, then the world of Protestant churches came about. You had then development of the of the Lutherans, and then the Presbyterians under John Calvin and others, and and you began to see that then the Baptists were persecuted, and they arose, and you have all of these different Methodists, you have all these different denominations that we know of in the next two or three centuries after Martin Luther, all coming along. And this is the confusing part of all of it. See, for most people, Gary, they kind of give up because they don't know what all of that means. And that's one of the reasons why we believe in going back to just the New Testament and finding out what that church that I know was correct. I, I may not know what, whether what a pope said in, in 300 A.D. is correct, but I know what the apostles said was correct. I know what's in the... Uh, what's in the uh, scriptures that's that's why i keep and going so we go back to that and i think that when you read the scriptures gary we've shown on this show more than once that the apostles intended and jesus intended for his words exactly. to be the only guide and for us to reproduce those to commit them to faithful men through every generation they intended for us to try to recreate the new testament church not the greek orthodox church not the roman catholic church not the protestant churches are the, the Russian? Are the Russian, Russian Orthodox Church? Yeah, but but I, and I can't give you the specific off the top of my head, Jerry. I'm sorry, off the top of my head, the specific doctrines of the Roman Orthodox Church as opposed to the Greek Orthodox Church. I don't really think there's very many, from what I do know. I would say there are not very many specific doctrines that would be of much consequence to most people. The same thing is true between the Greek Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. The end result is. And the most important thing for you to remember is Jesus never asked you to follow some man through and, and the teachings of tradition and the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. See, the Roman Catholic Church and Greek Orthodox Church specifically say in their catechisms that their tradition, their oral tradition handed down through the popes and the cardinals is just as important and necessary as the scripture itself. I'm not making that up. That's what's in the catechism. And, and it takes the Bible and tradition 
to be saved and know how to live. Gary and I, we reject that completely, and we think you should reject that notion completely. It isn't a matter of whether I like Catholics or not. Some of my family members are Catholic. It's, it's, it's a matter of whether that's a correct idea or not that we should follow. It's, it's what Jesus said in, in, in John twelve forty eight: The words that I speak will judge him in the last day. Not the words that the Pope speaks, not the words that some man has spoken, not some uh, basically plan that someone else has written down. It's the words that Jesus spoke, which we have before us in the Scripture. Yes, that's, that's right. what will judge us. That's right, Gary. I hate to interrupt, but we just—I just got a text from a fellow here. It says there's a very bad. If you're trying to get to our services at 10 o'clock this morning, here at the corner of California and Savona. There's a very bad accident in California, a few blocks from Savona. That's just right near the building here in Medevac Helicopters at the school across the street or diagonal from us. So you may want to plan. If you're listening, you may want to plan your route accordingly. I would come some other way besides uh, for sure. Port, Port St. Port St. Lucie Boulevard yeah. and Savona yeah, would be. Yeah, I just don't know. You have to look at the map. But I'm just warning you, you might want to leave a little early if you're trying to be here by 10. Because it sounds like I, we, we, I've heard a couple of sirens just in my own hearing just a, mo- a few minutes ago. But I, of course, we were locked in a room. We have no idea what's going on. <laughs> right. You know. We heard something a while ago. For all I know, Trump have, could have the coronavirus. Anyway, go ahead. May have been a helicopter was what we heard. Yes, it could. That's right. I heard. Didn't I hear something? Yeah. That's right. It could have been a helicopter. I wonder so, what it was. It sounded like a, a plane. But getting back to the point, the, the real thing that I see, and I think there was a question about, well, how did the Russian church uh, deal with communism and some of the things there and and basically what you find out is these churches to survive put aside doctrine in a lot of cases just to accommodate the politics it's, it's a, they were political animals and the people involved the, the bishops and so forth be and that political. that's that's what you're seeing today in in a lot of the protestant churches with accommodation of uh you know people are not going to like me say this but the accommodation of homosexuals in the church and and the lbgt movement basically is not uh, spoken well of in the scripture as is basically is as mild as I can put it no. yeah. so what you're doing when you accommodate those things you're accommodating basically things that are not in the scriptures so that you appeal to whatever society wants and that's not what's said in the scripture exactly and and uh, when you have then church officials who are essentially also political uh, governors or have political authority, you end up with a very deep corruption of the doctrine of Christ. And um, that's just not what's taught in the New Testament. And uh, so a lot of these, do- then, then when you begin to teach that, well, we've got to keep the traditions as they've been handed down to us from generation to generation by men, not, not God's tradition is found in the scriptures, but the traditions of men. Jesus rejected that in Mark 7 and said that the traditions of the Jews that they were keeping were simply the doctrines of men. And he said, woe to them when they kept the doctrines of men as if they were commandments of God. But, and so we, we are in a constant process here of trying to analyze and understand what is found in the scriptures versus what is human thinking or tradition. Here we have another caller. Are you there, John? I'm here. How are you? you speak up a little bit. Can you hear me? Can you, hold on. There we go. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you've been on a couple different subjects a little bit this morning, but I wanted to mention that in the early couple first centuries, there were a lot of brand of Christianity uh, out there. Johannian Christianity, Pauline Christianity. Um, hold, hold on. I got, to, I, I got uh, speak up a little bit, uh, John. I, I got the idea that was, as you said, Pauline Christianity and Johannine or John Christianity. After that, it faded out. Right, and, I, and, and that went on for quite a while until Constantine, you know, decided to adopt Christianity. Um, and in 325, they had their council where they basically ha- had to hammer out. They didn't. They didn't hammer out what books were in the Bible, that kind of thing. And the Council of Nicaea, that's kind of a myth. They, they, the big argument was: was Jesus divine? Was he always? Has he always existed, or was he created at one time? That was the area of controversy. And, uh, right. Still a controversy today for some, to some people. That's basically what our Christianity is based on today. So I'll, I'll take your comment off air. I just, uh, I just wanted to make, let you know about that. I appreciate that. Well, 
Uh, I, would, I would say that I personally disagree with the idea that there was different brands of true Christianity so that Paul and John uh, were at odds with each other. Of course, they wrote different books from different perspectives. I believe you can harmonize the beliefs of the apostles and New Testament writers very well together. And uh, there was not one gospel for the Jews and one gospel for the Gentiles. They all were going to be saved the same way. Although the churches might have looked a little bit different because you had different kinds of people there. There was one doctrine. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.16, I have my ways in Christ, which I teach everywhere in every church. So there was a uniformity, but of course there was also the differences between churches that were mostly Jews, Jewish converts and others that were mostly Gentile converts. But in doctrine, they were supposed to be the same. Now then, when you pass... When you go past the apostolic era of, let's say, 100 A.D., to make it rounded off a little bit, when the Apostle John was the last of them to die, as far as we can tell, of the apostles, Paul had warned that when he was dead, that grievous wolves, he called them in Acts 20, verse 28 or so, around that ver- that those verses, would enter in, not sparing the flock, but would heap to themselves, te- the people would heap to themselves teachers, he said, and Second Timothy three, and so they would, they would come in and change the teachings of the apostles, and make disciples of themselves uh, after themselves when the apostles were gone, and he warned the elders of the church at Ephesus who would survive him and live through this, to only accept the whole counsel of God as he told them that he had taught them, and not be led astray, but of course that's not what what happened was. Even in the second century, which is the 100 to 200 year range, uh, A.D. range, they began to differentiate between elders and bishops when in the New Testament those two offices are the same. And they began to, dif- to have different other offices and structures in the church. And they began to hold councils that were, did not include the apostles and then politically elect different men to be bishops over churches over areas, over regions. So by the time you get to 600, you've got the full-blown Roman Catholic Church as we know it, and the first pope in the 606 or so. And so we know that those things happened, but I wouldn't call them different brands of Christianity, if you mean by that true Christianity. I believe they were different brands of Christians, but even in, even in first. Corinthians chapter well, 1. Well, that, that's God. where I was going. Uh, yeah. First Paul, Corinthians Paul chapter 1 and 12. Not to have, not to have people follow different men, even himself he and said, Peter. Yeah, he says, in, of, yeah, he says in verse 12, Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. He says, Christ divided. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He goes on in chapter 3, and he very explicitly condemns them for that. He says you're in, in basically, I think in verse 4, uh, maybe even a little bit further. Uh, are you still carnal? For there are, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul. And another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Basically, he very explicitly condemns them for this kind of thing. Yes, for the division, for division over yeah. their own names and stuff. Right. Now, John just texted back. He said, the point, everyone considered themselves orthodox. The point was that everyone was not on the same page of what was orthodox. Well, well yes, that may be that they weren't. But once again, and maybe this is part of our problem, Gary, we're, there's a difference between reality and what is desirable or ideal when we talk about new testament christianity we're not just talking about what exists in the world today and say yeah there's all different kind of christians as if that's an ideal situation yes there are all different kinds of christians today the question is is that orthodox well the right te- the correct teaching was that that uh, uh there was there was one correct teaching okay uh, and uh, I think historically, let's go back to the Aryan controversy, was Jesus created? I, I think it's obvious that Jesus was not created from the New Testament, even though others say that he was. We can go back and 
re-debate a hundred-year-old controversy. Uh, but, but the fact is there was something that was correct, and Paul called them to that, to the one true faith or belief. And the apostles agreed on that. Okay? There was no dispute among the apostles in the final analysis, even though Peter, for example, didn't live up to what he knew was right about the Jews and was a hypocrite about associating with the Gentiles when the Jews were around, that doesn't mean that there were different kinds of Christianity, for example, and that what Peter did was acceptable. It didn't make Paul the head of the church when he confronted Peter about it either, you see. So what people do and what is true and acceptable and right are two different things. We're preaching an ideal here in teaching New Testament Christianity. That there is an ideal found in the New Testament of how things ought to be. And there's freedom within the ideal on the edges of how we ought to treat each other. And there's room for disagreements. But essentially, the basic truth is there that's the same for everyone. And we have to stand firm or stand fast in the faith. As Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith. And he says this toward the end of the New Testament period. Jude 3. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So at the time of Jude, he says the faith had been delivered, the faith, singular, system of belief. Right. And we were to contend for that one true faith. He doesn't say you're going to have to wait until the Council of Nicaea and all the other councils to know what the real truth is here. Now, men did that. They did argue, and they did have disagreements. But, see, I don't consider the church, the, 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 what we would call the Roman Catholic Church of the three, four, five hundreds, and the six hundreds, I don't consider that the pattern for what we're supposed to be doing today. That's when men had went astray and fallen away. Peter Paul predicted a falling away from the faith in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And so... Um, you know, that's what we're seeing when we call it church history. What we're going back to is that the faith is found in the New Testament. And so I think John is bringing up a, a, correct, uh, a correct point. He says, well, in 325, um, it took until 325 to come up with the correct teaching. There have always been, and so there were all these books that were sold in there. The reason that you have the controversy over the books and what we call the canon in the 300s is because people kept trying to bring in other books that the elders of the churches very early on knew didn't belong there. And they, just like today, you go, by the, you go by the grocery in the grocery store on the National Enquirer. Every once in a while you'll see lost books of the Bible revealed, right? And books on Jesus' childhood discovered. These aren't new They've been around a long time. And when you look at, I got a library, as I told you before, Gary. I got all, in fact, I opened the door this morning in my office and smelled like something. I think, I think I'm smelling very, very old books in here. Anyway. Well, see, I've got, I've got, I've got, a, I've got, I've got the Bible. That... I got the Bibles on a shelf, but I got all these other books. I know the difference between those two things. Just because I had them in my library doesn't mean that I think they're inspired. I mean, there's all, but there's always someone that was coming along trying to bring in the gospel of Barnabas or the shepherd of Hermas or, or the Didache or some other books in the New Testament canon. And so that's why they had fights about it. Not because they didn't know or because it hadn't been revealed or shown, but because there's always someone trying to bring in something different and new into the and, church. And right here in my Bible search program, I've got this little box down here at the bottom that when I do a search basically a search for a word or a phrase and I can check this little box and it says display extra canonical books in the drop down list basically when if I check that box I'm going to see all these crazy books that you see on the shelf that have supposedly been discovered over the last three four hundred years as part of the Bible well, and they're, they're not there are a lot not, of them that go pretty no, far back yeah but I think, I think it's pretty obvious which ones were. The people knew which books were written by the apostles or the apostles' servants like Timothy or, or like, um, uh, who am I thinking of here, Luke 
or but but and Mark, but but they knew those already. And the fact that we can we got people today that say, well, this is a I found this manuscript or this was floating around. That doesn't mean that it was accepted in the first century as if it were the gospel. Well, we, we need to do a whole show on this. Well, because, I, my, because my point I, is. I appreciate John texting because he's texting me before about this. My uh, point is that they are recognized as being extra canonical or outside the canon. Well, it's, it's, like the, it's like the Jews and what we call the apocryphal books. The Catholic Church puts the apocryphal books like Judith and Maccabees and all those into their Bibles as such. But the Jews, and they were supposed to be written by the Jews in the period between the end of Malachi, the Old Testament, and Matthew, the beginning of the New. In that 400-year period, there were several of these kind of books written, histories and other books. The Jews knew that they were not written by prophets, and so they've never accepted them. They kept them. They put them in their libraries, but, but they never accepted them as if they were inspired. Do they have useful information? Yes. But they always compared those books to the books they knew were inspired. And yet the Catholics come along because they need justification for purgatory and some other doctrines like that, worshiping statues and so forth. And they throw those books into the canon, even though the Jews to whom they were written rejected them. Do I think, do, do I think the apocryphal books are interesting to read and valuable to study? Yes, to a degree. Are they, should they be recognized, even though they existed at the time of Christ, should they be recognized as canonical books? And the answer is no. And as yeah. a matter of fact, Mike, I've read some of those, and basically I can tell the difference in the way they read from the, from the canonical books. Canonical books. They, they actually read different to me. They, they don't have the same uh, rhythm and the way that uh, the wording is done. It's, it's just different. Right. And and you can and you can you don't have to be educa and educated in in basically in the scholarly work of how to analyze those things to actually see and understand how different they are. I've read some of them. Yes. I just wanted to point out also Paul saying in Galatians one, there is one doctrine. He says, "I marvel that you are so that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel." which is not another, but there are some who troubled you and want to per pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel of heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. You know, uh, um, people talk about the fact that there's these synoptic gospels, but they, that's, that's, there are four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is very different from the others, so he's not considered a synoptic, which means to see at the same time, essentially. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptic gospels for in, in religious studies. And they differ in, in audience and in the way, they, the way they record the different accounts of things that happen. Some record some things, some another. There's different versions, like we saw last week, between what we often call the Sermon on the Mount right. in, in Matthew and, and Luke and so forth. And people have debated about this for a long time. Here's the thing that is often missed. They purport to be essentially eyewitness accounts. Luke for sure says, I went back, although he was an eyewitness, he says, I went back and talked to the eyewitnesses and laid out a chronological account of these things, which include also the book of Acts. And uh, Matthew and Mark, Mark was Peter's protege, and that's kind of what everybody understands about how his account is. It's a little bit different. Matthew is an apostle. And so the accounts differ. If, if these supposed witnesses of the life of Christ all said exactly the same thing in exactly the same way, and each of these so-called eyewitnesses remembered exactly the same details about everything that happened. Do you, re do you know what any attor uh, prosecuting attorney or jury in the land would do with those accounts? They would throw them out because they're not believable because they're all identical. They, they, would, they would be they, rehearsed. They, they would be rehearsed they and would made be, up. It would be obvious if made up or rehearsed. So if these were made up or rehearsed documents... 
brought along a few hundred years later or just uh, made up out of thin air, you might expect them to be the same as, as each other, to follow the same pattern. But they don't. And, of course, and that lens actually lends, and there's many other scholars, I'm not even a scholar, but I should say besides myself, many, many scholars down through the centuries have, taught, have written books about how this lends credibility to the Gospels as being authentic. The apostles were not perfect men. And we know this from the accounts that they left of themselves in the Gospels of the places. And that, that lends authenticity to what they're saying. They weren't putting themselves forward as much as they were putting what they had seen in the message forward. And so, um, and, and yet the, the, the basic material is going to be the same because they were watching the same man, you see. Now, so he, John here says that um, uh, they're, they, they are almost identical because Matthew and Luke copied, Matthew and Luke copied Mark. Well, it's possible Mark was the first one written down. The account of Peter of the life of Christ makes sense. His might be first, perhaps. John may not have written his until later in the, in the first century. But the fact, the fact that they're alike, which way do they want it? They want a copy or they want them to be different? Some, some brands of critics of the New Testament say, well, they're all just copies of one another, so that, that, that destroys their credibility, authenticity. Others say, well, they're so different from each other, that destroys their authenticity. So which... Is I've been dealing... I've been, you know, this is... Which one, which one is it, you see, um, that we need to look up? Now, uh, hang on. John just texted me a reference I need to look up here. Heads you win, tails, tails I lose. Well, to some degree, I, I realize there's a legitimate debate in this, and I'm not trying to dismiss it in a cavalier fashion, but I mean, we probably need to do a whole show on this. Um, well, if you, get into Mark the, seven, if you get into the details of this, it's probably going to be more than one show. Uh, basically, this, this is not a simple... To, to, from what I've read so far, Mike, I would say this is not a simple study. Oh no, it's not. It's not. Uh, we're we're going to be we're going to be dealing with a, a lot of different aspects of it, some of which are going to be different opinions, and yet still, when I read those books, they flow in a manner that they are recognizable. In other words, there there's a, there's a sameness to the way they are written that uh, basically transcends differences in, in a lot of cases, even though they don't say exactly the same thing in every case. Yes. Now, I, I don't know why I had in my source here that John had texted me Mark seven nineteen about the, maybe I'm looking at an old text, but uh, th he says this is called the two-source hypothesis. Uh, there are no contradictions I suppose, well, I suppose there are, there are at least four sources for the Gospels, in my opinion. Yeah. The Holy Spirit spoke to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John. And they're, I'm not, I know that, that they're looking, look, they're looking at it from the standpoint of figuring, it's the same process that they use to tell you that William Shakespeare didn't write the works of William Shakespeare. That somebody else wrote this, somebody else wrote that. They do the same thing with Isaiah. And we can just delve into that pro that pro that problem oh. or that hypothesis of Isaiah and Deutero Isaiah and so forth. Uh, but just because two things sound alike or have similar grammar, they say that the same person wrote them. But if the grammar changes or they use different words in a document or something, they say, well, that must be a different person doing it, you see. Or basically, Mike, from the time I began studying and looking, even my time in engineering, if you looked at the things that I wrote at the very beginning and the things that I wrote at the end, you'd see a different language. You'd well, see true. a different... Well, that's, exa that's exactly because right. But, but you simply see, because I matured in what I was doing. What's taught in the seminaries is, you know, this critical theory, critical uh, documentary critical theory, whatever you want to say about it. And it, it's just... It, it, First of all, the first thing you have to remember about it is it presumes that there is no such thing as inspiration that's speaking to these men. That it's simply, these are simply the products of human 
invention. That's the fundamental hypothesis behind all of it, that there is no divine inspiration. You and I believe that these prophets or men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and every word of the scriptures is inspired. Now, so, that, doesn't, that doesn't eliminate the fact that Luke, the physician, uses medical terminology, and he views the crucifixion and tells you about a medical detail in the crucifixion that Matthew doesn't, who's a tax collector, who observes the same event. That doesn't eliminate the human element. It doesn't even eliminate a book like Luke or Acts, which it says here's a, he went and did the research and talked to the witnesses. But the final product was a product of the Holy Spirit. That, that's, what, that's the difference between critical theory, uh, so, documentary, the so, documentary hypothesis. So we've got men analyzing view. the scripture that basically take a fundamental approach that is in direct opposition to the claims of the document itself. The well, Bible, well, yes. Bible well, yes. claims to be the inspired word of God. So you, I keep coming back to this. There's a very, there's a very simple problem here. You either have to believe that or not. There's, there's, there's no in between. And if it's not the inspired word of God, I don't want to fool with it. I, I don't want to fool with it. Well, now, now John says there are not contradictions. Only writers with different views and writing to different communities. Well, I don't disagree with that. That they have different views in that in that they are remembering and seeing different things. And Paul had a different reason for writing uh, the book of First Corinthians than the writer of Hebrews did to write the book of Hebrews, assuming Paul didn't write it. Okay, there's a different reason for writing those books, and they're very different. But when I look at the two books, they don't teach anything different about God or Christ. One adds here and one adds there, but they're teaching the same thing. Now, um, you know, in looking at the, studying the history of the manuscripts and so forth, what you come away with, there's different, obviously, different people come away with different conclusions and emphasis. What we're missing about the New Testament documents is the fact that there are so many different documents in many different languages from very early on that we have preserved, greater by magnitudes of order than any other ancient documents. And so we can piece together, even from the, remember, the writings of men 100, 200 years afterwards, we piece together the same quotations. They were all quoting from the same sources, you see. That, so they point backwards to a single source for each of these quotations. Now, you might have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the famous reason. Or what people have often tried to do, and I've run into this in preaching and meeting different people over the years, Gary, is that people try to pit Paul and Peter against one another. And this is usually done by people who believe in faith only because they, and who want to discard the doctrine of baptism as being essential for forgiveness of sins because they know that uh, it's obvious that uh, Peter taught baptism for forgiveness of sins in the book of Acts early on. And they say Paul taught salvation by faith only. Of course, they have to ignore Romans 6 when they do that, where Paul says that we're buried with Christ and we're buried into Christ with baptism, actually. Well, So they want to make these two men at, at war with each other when the New Testament pictures them as not being at war. In fact, uh, Peter says Paul has written many, many scriptures, he calls them, which are hard to understand. But he recommends them to people in this in his book. So, um, well, I wanted to find something here that w- that was in my notes for the th- for the things that we started because they're written uh, by the same person. Um, basically, in Ephesians two, Paul writes the passage about uh, you are saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. Talking about it's not something that you're earned and not of works that you can boast. And yet Paul wrote that, and Paul and Paul wrote Romans two four, uh, beginning in verse four. He says, uh, "Let's go down to verse five. But in accordance with your the, the hardness of your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God, who will render to each 
one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. He says basically he will reward each one according to his deeds. Now, if you want to interpret Ephesians 2 as being faith only, how how does Paul write Romans 2, 4 and following? Yeah. So, yeah. It, 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 and, and that's the same writer. That's the same writer. Yes, that's exactly right. You know, uh, there may be some differences in the manuscripts as time goes on or as they were recorded. But Lightfoot, we're going to have to figure out, Gary, what's going on. We got, I think we've got interference from the – go ahead and keep talking. Okay. I'll they, the differences are, will fit on less than a part of a page. Okay, and, and what I'm pointing out is if you look at just the writings of Paul, Paul agreed with Peter in, in many of the things that he said that if you take this doctrine of faith alone and, and not by works – then basically what you're what you're running into is a contradiction of Paul with himself if if you assume that's what it says yes and and that's what I'm trying to say is Paul said basically he's going to render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who can patient continuance in doing good and I want to emphasize that continuance that basically is something we we forget we, we go to the plan of salvation and, and say you have to believe, you have to repent, you have to confess, you have to be baptized. But then there's a lot of continuance that goes on that we have to do later on throughout life. It, it's, it's something that we, one of the things that I was going to touch on here, but let's, let's not get the idea that, that uh, this idea of faith alone is what saves us, and I, and I didn't get a chance to go well, back to James. We never got James there, to... but uh, let me say this. Uh, just about, I'm sorry about all the confusion here. Uh, apparently, some of the, I'm going to say, the emergency communication going on right here at the building is, is, is coming interfering with our, our electronics here, and I tried to just shut some of that off, so we might have got rid of that, but I apologize if that sounds kind of confusing. But anyway, uh, the... Um, mm-hmm. John has texted me about this manuscript stuff before, and, and I want to apologize to him on the air for not dealing with it more on the radio show. It can be a little boring or daunting to most people, and that might be part of my reluctance about it. But I'll, I'll put together some material for a show, Gary and, and John, about this soon here so we can at least simplify the, contra- the problem. Here's, the, here's what happens why I want to deal with it. It's the kind of thing, it, it's not good radio, and it takes a little bit of going in depth and histor- historical stuff. But on the other hand, what happens to people's faith is that they're going along and they hear this stuff for the first time, and it throws them off track because they think, oh, well, everything I believe about the Bible is false, and the Bible can't be trusted, and uh, this is all just made up by people, and so forth. So it can weaken people's faith when they don't have some basic answers about it. And so I want to deal with that and uh, go on uh, go on about it, uh, go, go on and do some more about it. But we're almost out of time today. We've only got about a minute and a half left. So I appreciate John texting in and Jerry for calling. Uh, we I really do. And uh, we're going to continue probably next week the same basic subject of how do we yeah. find, how do we, how are we saved? What's the Bible say about how to be well, saved? What must we do to be what saved? And, to be and, saved? And, and basically I want to introduce a thought here that there's an idea here that's in the scriptures that, that God uses something that can be seen to prove something that cannot be seen. Exactly. That's a, that's a major thing. So he's, it's a major thing. What it is. Well, yes. I appreciate that, Gary. And, uh, and uh, we, we want to close our show by inviting you to come and be with us this morning if you possibly can. 2196 Southwest of Illinois Boulevard. If you can't, take a look at our live stream, which is at, I'll give you this on the air, tinyurl, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com at Savona Church Stream, one word. Tinyurl dot com at Savona Church Stream is the way you find our live stream at 10 and 11 this morning. 
and we appreciate very much you tuning into the show. Hope that you'll be with us next week, and may God bless. Fulfill my cup, let it overflow. Fulfill my cup.